Hello, you're listening to The Consequential Podcast. Uh, this week, we are revisiting webcomics. We're going back to our very first episode ever. Uh, back to our roots. And seeing if we can remember anything and uh, if we know what we're doing now. We've all grown so much since then. We have. We're just, I mean, I we're just such very different people. No, still drinking Beaujolais. I mean, I'm not sure I'm actually, I'm a tiny wizard now. We have um, gorged ourselves on apparently enchanted corn, and now we're ready to bring you information about comics. We're corn-fed. Yeah, we are. We're, we're organic and free-range, or we would be if we moved. Yeah, I don't really do that. I move a little bit. The voices you can hear are uh, Roger Hart. It's Hello. his birthday. What? It's your birthday. Well, arguably. And Lucy. It's not my birthday. It's not your birthday. And it never will be. But you've been reading some comics. I was never born. I just am. Well, Roger just strolled in from the gap between dimensions, whistling a jaunty tune. That's true. But we still call it his birthday. It might not be my birthday when they listen to it. It won't be, but it is now. Future radio. Well, we'll reissue it on your birthday next year so that it is. Oh, that's sweet of you. Yeah. The Roger birthday special. I mean, I always think of your true birthday as the, you know, the Tunguska event, but... Um, <laughs> this is the one you picked. Oh, I wish I had the presence of mind to adopt that as kind of a faux one. Anyway, Lucy. Hi. Tell us about books. I've read some of them. Yeah. Some of them. Please tell us about them. Uh, well, one of the things I read was Dr. Fate. Which I believe you talked about previously. I did. I hear it's a jolly time. It's a jaunty adventure. It is a jaunty adventure. There was plenty to like. There was also plenty I didn't like. Tell us about your hatreds. Well, no, I'll start with what I really, really liked. And that was the fucking bugged out crazy dog. By which I mean Anubis. Yes. The depiction thereof was, was just fucking splendid. That was a really unsettling dog. It yells things like, you shall all be my slaves in the house of the dead, which is great. Um, it's got, like, white eyes, you know, the way to make a thing creepy. Just don't give it any kind of eye colour distinction. Just one colour, boom, creepy. Um, so that was good. Um, that was the good bit. Okay. <laughs> Very different views on this, you and I. I, I really struggled with all of the bits that weren't a mental dog god going off on one. The teenagers were just too fucking earnest. There was not a shred of irony in them. And it was a problem. Ooh. Ooh. You didn't mention that. I don't think that's I feel let down by you, Mr. True, Conrad. and I feel like that would have raised my hackles quite substantially. I found the, I found the characterization banal at best. I didn't... So, so it also, in ter- I guess in terms of the plot, it felt like... So, to recap, you've got this um, Egyptian-American med student. There's a terrible flood happening at the moment in New York. And he somehow ends up with this helmet that makes him Dr. Fate. Yeah. Yeah? The helmet chooses people. The helmet chooses people. And he's got the blood of the pharaohs in him, so the helmet chooses him. Yeah, which, um, given... What we know about the pharaohs these days, and generally, you know, how inbred they were. Mm, you don't um, want that blood. It's quite... I mean, not not all of them, obviously, but they mentioned Tutankhamun particularly, and he was really very inbred. Yes. That's um, why he died so young, presumably. Yes. That's why he couldn't really walk. Mm. And, yeah. Fancy fucking death mask, though. They probably, like, 
it was, it was flattering, I'm guessing. Yeah, they didn't they didn't skimp, but yeah. uh, problems problems that boy. So across the across the first trade, which is what I read, I it felt like the plot was the helmet wants him, but he doesn't want the helmet, and then something happens, and he uses the power the helmet gives him, but then he also doesn't want those powers, and he just vacillated between oh I don't want this, oh this thing is happening, oh I don't want this, oh this thing is happening. That was kind of, those were the ticks in the plot arc, and it wasn't enough for me. But they were meant to be tied to the various issues that he was having with his sort of status as a second generation immigrant. True. Notions of duty to family and then the the duty to some forgotten past, which all sort of tied together in terms of ties to ancient Egypt. That's, that stuff was good, and what was also good was sort of him being not really explicitly religious, but there were a bunch of just sort of casually Muslim cultural touchstones. That was nice. That was sort of not too heavy-handed. I mean, one of the other things that really, really bothered me was that every time he gets the helmet on him, he makes some crack about how he must either be tripping or mentally ill. And it wasn't really funny the first time, and it just got more and more intense and also wasn't funny as it carried on. I didn't pick up on it, but I can see that being that was, problematic. Yeah, that just kind of grounding. Every, literally every time, it's like, whoa, I must be on drugs. I'll consult the DSM because I'm fucking crazy because all this weird shit's happening. It's like, no, well, if weird supernatural shit's happening, yes, you probably would think you were crazy, but can we have some other reference point for it other than... Also, for a med student, I'd hope you'd have a more sort of sensitive view of those things. But, you know, I've met enough doctors who are complete cunts to realise that's not very realistic. Fair. So that was Dr. Fate. So I'm that sorry. Was, that was Dr. Fate. I, I don't care. I have no investment in your liking it or not, frankly. Um, I liked it when he said, don't mess with my laptop, you crazy antique. <laughs> that was, I mean, that's the character of the dialogue. That's part of what mm. my issue was with it. I have no issue with that whatsoever. <laughs> Um, I have no problem there. I, how did you feel, as someone who's come to it completely fresh, mm. how did you feel, like, did you feel you were missing stuff not coming to it from a comics background? Like The only bit that I really felt didn't work was him having sort of Kent as his assumed name. Yeah. If you didn't have the continuity context, that was sort of thrown in and was kind of not really anything done with it. Yeah. I I wasn't desperately familiar with Doctor Fate really, mm. and I thought that was a Superman reference initially, mm. rather than being the name of the reference original to sort of, character. Yeah, yeah. But even then, there's no explanation. It just it's just there for long term fans of yeah. the character. Um, I mean, I think it's an assumed name, so as not to be scary as a doctor. Yes, effectively, like yes, to take an anglicized name. Yes, and he was talking with a professor who was sort of perhaps also of a sort of immigrant background who was like yeah I kind of get why you're doing that but that wasn't again wasn't really elaborated on all that much yeah be interesting to see where they go with it are they going to do any more have they been doing more it's can, it's definitely up to sort of 10 or 12 issues so okay far. um and I'm going to I'm going to carry on reading it because hmm. I, I, I did really enjoy it um, now we need to get Hart to read it as a tiebreaker. Mm. Yeah, you see that? You made it sound really cool, but... I made it sound really lame. Yeah. It's okay, whatever you say carries no moral weight, so it doesn't doesn't matter either way. 
No, that's pretty. That's about right. Let's um, let's come to the, the book that you put on the table because it's called Ahoy Booty. Ahoy Booty. It's a picture booty. of a tall ship perched twixt some buttocks. Yep. It's what's, a buttocks. I, I would say it's across the buttocks rather than twixt. I think if you look carefully... This, this, it's that cheek is in front, that and that cheek. one's behind. Oh, yeah. so it's an angle between yeah. the buttocks. Yes, which is it's why like it's a twixt rather yeah. than diagonally like across in. the crack. Yeah, it's not bisecting the crevice, but uh, you never want to bisect the crevice. <laughs> Tell us about it. It's Tell a, us about your butt zine. It's a butt zine. Right. It's a zine about butts. It's got a real I do like a butt. Interesting range of stuff. Some of it's just illustrations of butts. Some of it's short comics about butts. I really enjoyed this. This is a pizza covered in butts. Nice. Yes. Nice. Um, but what I really wanted to share with you guys were the um, the, the butt haiku section. Right. Oh. Butts are like pizza. Even if it's not perfect, I've got a boner. Yeah. Mm. You're right. Your butt, an onion. These tears are not of sadness. Take off that layer. <laughs> My hands are so full, struggling to contain glory. Glory is your butt. <laughs> that, that is that is butt zine. D- delightful. I, I like your butt zine. Where has this come from? Uh, <laughs> where where has this come from, and who is responsible? It was curated, and as I say curated, I'm I'm going from a curated to a culo kind of place. I'm wondering if I can get any mm. kind of multilingual butt pun in there, but I mm. cannot. Um, Emily Partridge and Lainey Diamond, who feature their own butts on the author page. That's very good. Ones. Those are two butts. Mm-hmm. The the physical artifact came to me actually many many years ago, probably at least three or four years ago now. Um, given to me by Andy, friend of the podcast. Yeah. Um, and I haven't read it until now, so sorry, Andy. I've got your butt zine, and I don't really want to give it back because it's great. Sorry, Andy, you've lost out. I don't know if they've done any more since. Um, I think that will be. They, they were sort of a call for submissions for the next butt zine. So we should investigate the yeah, butt. Yeah, we should. Should we, should we do a butt-themed podcast? <sighs> investigate the butt. Tom of Finland? Yeah, we can do Tom of Finland. Um, the butt, um, the queer underground zine, just, just butt. Yeah. Um, there's that butt ghost in um, Abaddon. Yes, there is also a butt ghost in this. We could proper go off on one about Frank Show. The average person is in direct contract with at least five ghost butts at any given time. You are never truly alone. It's a heartening message. It is. It's um. And the ghost butts are adorable. Yeah. Perky. Yeah. Perky yeah. little ghost bums. Pert. I, I think we should do a, the butt cast. Butt cast. Okay, we'll do a butt cast. I've agreed to it. It's definitely not the fact that I've got a heavy cold and have taken a load of meds. Drink some more Beaujolais, dear. You'll be fine. Oh, yeah. That sounds. Beaujolais. He sounds pretty pretty convincing um, with what he said. Tell us about Tim Ginger. Tim Ginger. Um, Tim Ginger is very nice. Tim Ginger is the story of a man who used to be a test pilot and now writes books about that, but also about cricket. He's got a cricket team. He's got a Ooh. dead wife with some intrigue. And he's got an old friend who he's reconnecting with and, you know, maybe will they, maybe won't they. Um, and he also had a very mysterious experience once cricket um, you say yes yes it's got cricket it's got cricket in the america i read a book about that once really i didn't realize you were this interested in cricket i really like cricket okay you should he read does. tim ginger 
he does. I think it's because it's notionally a sport, but nothing really happens. Mm. Well, it's a spreadsheet with a nice outfit. I thought that was EVE Online. Now yeah. it's a spreadsheet with pirates. Yeah, yeah I... Um, I've got a little bit of a thing for Cricket Whites. Okay, that's an interesting thing to bring into the mix. Yeah, we're trying to talk about comics. Yeah. Please don't go off topic. I don't think our listeners would approve. Do you not, do you not think Cricket White's just kind of dapper, a little bit sexy? You want to fuck Peter Davidson, don't you? Not particularly. Mm, it's coming from somewhere. <laughs> so, um, Tim Ginger, there's, there's an interesting thread woven through the book, which is that of the decision not to have children. The mm. main character and his wife chose not to, their best friends chose not to, and the wife of the best friend couple has recently sort of within the book done a comic which is interviews with people about their own experiences of not having children and not Mm. wanting to have children, which was interesting and it was in a lot of ways really nice to have that coming from a woman's voice and just being accepted Mm. without a bunch of bullshit. The only thing that slightly rubbed me up about it was that a lot of the sort of reasons these fictional people put forward to not have children and there's a little bit that Tim himself kind of engages with towards the end is just really classist it's the poor and stupid people are outbreeding us and that's horrifying mm. and that doesn't sit very comfortably with me no fair mm. it's, it's a, quite a common no- note in sorry it's also because it will it will um, sort of focus on that for 30-40 pages at a time and mm. then go off somewhere else entirely it's not a hugely long book, but there are these multiple threads, and it tends to it tends to pick up one at once rather than weave them together. Particularly, yeah, I would very much um, like to read it. It's great. I think you'd enjoy it. I fondled it in uh, in Gosh, and then uh, didn't buy it. Mm. So. Well, you bought it and gave it to me. You did do well, that eventually. Yes. Yes. Um, it's really hard to describe, mm. particularly because. It's sort of there's a central mystery, which is what happened to him that means that he's at weird conventions, like conspiracy theorist conventions. Yes. Hmm. Um, how did he lose his eye? And his what wife. To his wife. And some of it's mundane, and some of it's possibly supernatural or mm. transcendental in some fashion. Um, and it's just, it's really odd the way that it's picked up and put down. I don't think it's bad or that it suffers for it. It just feels like, it just feels strange. There were a few places also where I felt like the dialogue didn't quite flow as well as it could have. There were a few sort of, I'm not, that doesn't ring true as a way a human would phrase that kind of moments. But they were not, not frequent enough to be jarring in the course of the narrative. Hmm. Is the... Is the strangeness of it and the slightly bitty structure that you describe, is that poised? Is that sort of an imp- uh, opposed imperfect cadence, or is that a problem? I think, to an extent, yes, because the iconography mm. of it is strange. It's people playing cricket in the New Mexico desert. and The main dude's uh, got an eye patch and you don't know why, that kind of thing. But also there's sort of, there's kind of, I don't know, there's a little parallel there between the structure and one of the things he... So there's this guy, Carl, who's been following Tim around, who's a conspiracy theorist, his own radio show, his own blog, all of the usual kind of stuff. And he's trying to basically get Tim to sort of confess to having something out of the ordinary having happened to him in the yeah. course of his service with the US Air Force. Mm. And Tim's response is sort of... 
is basically one of, you know, even, you know, I can't divulge that information because I promised, I made a promise not to that I intend to stick by. But also if I did, like, then where would we be, basically? Like, well, how would that actually change anything? And mm. the, the whole sort of, I guess the idea around if there's information that you think is there and you know you can't access, that's like a puzzle to pick at. Yeah. But a lot of the time, having the information doesn't actually, it's actually really, it's either really boring or it doesn't mm. help or change anything. Well, or, it's, or it doesn't fit the pattern that you're expecting, so you dismiss it. Yeah. There's a thing there about stories, right? Like the sort of unutterability and sen- it's something like the sort of mm. um, some of the framing structural stuff in Heart of Darkness but, but mm. you've got this kind of core of unutterability which is fundamentally more interesting than being given a resolution yes often in a slightly puzzle based or certainly slightly entry based narrative mm. it's just more satisfying not to have the answer and I guess the, the sort of the parallel I saw there with the structure is that that's idea of the neat story where everything mm. does weave together at the same time in order to form a sat- sort of an emotionally satisfying whole isn't that mm. isn't actually how life works it's one of the things i love about a conspiracy narrative and particularly sort of things that involve conspiracy theorists or particular oddballs is this thing where you get people who construct an entire life around this set of beliefs and what mm. the fuck would happen to them if they actually mm. did and which is why i guess so many people reject so much mundanity but mm. Well, yes, because a large part of it is hinged on the pathology that you are smarter than everyone else, you can see the patterns that they can't, you are putting it Mm. together, and in rejecting the mundane world that other people have accepted, you are special in the bearer of a holy truth. Or even even the milder version, it still leaves you unsatisfied, right? The kind of whole... The kind of the slight nagging. Surely there's more to it. Surely this doesn't quite fit. But the less pathological version. It's still a, it's still a profoundly dull day when you find out that actually you know it wasn't a conspiracy. It was a mild fuck up, or you know it actually was a weather balloon. Whatever, whatever the mm. fuck it is. But you also have so, people being like, sort of strung mm. along by the idea that some very very bizarre things have actually happened. Mm. You know there are a lot of sort of quite strange occurrences or sort of unexpected, vaguely conspiratorial stuff that later turned out mm. to be true. That I think leads people to try and project that onto Mm. other Mm. stuff. I read a really interesting blog article recently about sort of the idea of kind of hallucination from either drugs or psychosis or even um, kind of sensory deprivation Mm. coming from just amplifying the brain's uh, pattern recognition Mm. stuff. So they, they fed, I think they fed a computer some images of space and some other inputs and amped up the pattern recognition. It basically saw doges in space. That was kind of the image mm. that the blog was themed with. And I think, yeah, the sort of the, the pattern thing there of I'm smarter than you because I, I can see the patterns. Yes, mm. but also the human brain is programmed to see patterns everywhere. And if your knob of that is turned up, you're going to have a really weird time interacting oh, with the world. What's the name for that? Uh, apathenia? So the other thing I read this week um, was El Que Debe Vivir, uh, He Who Must Live, or uh-huh. The One Who Must Live which is a Cuban comic which was given to us by a friend of a friend of the podcast. Lovely. Um, it's a really interesting piece of artwork. So I'd not encountered kind of Cuban or even really sort of socialist comics as such. Well, apparently there are very, very few. So this mm. was given to a friend of mine by a collector uh, mm. in Cuba. And there are very, very few Cuban comics. So well, as someone who, who both speak Spanish and uh, appreciates the weird, this was highlighted as something for you. Yeah, it was a good pick. Um, 
it was a great testament how you can just not speak Spanish for six years and all you've got to do really is look up the vocab. It's nice, nice to know they didn't change it in the time that I was away. Um, it's, it's interesting primarily because it's based on a TV show um, of the same name as part of this is sort of one story from that which was a longer narrative and when I say based on a TV show not just the sort of plot and the comic script being from the film script um, it's actually most of the images are stills from the TV show which have been sort of cut out colorized and arranged in you know the way they need to be it tells the story of um, uh, Rolando Cubella I think who was a guy working with the CIA um, in order to kill Fidel Castro. And uh, for those of you who are sort of up on Fidel Castro, I think there have been roughly 630-odd attempts on his life by the CIA, and as far as we know, none of them succeeded. Which is blisteringly incompetent. Profoundly so. And, I mean, the murder vehicle they chose in this case was a fountain pen with a poison point, Mm. which... Perhaps a little Sherlock Holmes, but I'll give them that. It's a little kind of prosaic. Mm. Well, they tried exploding cigars as well. and uh, All sorts of stuff. uh, Burning his beard off with chemicals so that he would be ashamed. Yes. Uh, They didn't even want to kill him sometimes. They didn't think that would work. They just wanted him to be ashamed of not having a beard. Um, Are are their profilers idiots? It might be true that they are. Wonderful, 600 odd. Just mm, wow. Just all of them failed. So, I think the thing that I struggled with in this, other than the, you know, it not being in English, was I think it's one of those things where if you're living in a society like that, you already know the stories and the characters from mm. other propaganda. So, this is a sort of, I sort of assumed I was coming at this like it was a retelling of a tale that the structure of which was relatively familiar. This is just sort of, you know, a bit more of the details or the kind of personality stuff going on. But, I mean, I kind of... There was some stuff that wasn't really easy for me to grasp what was happening and why, because I didn't really have any background in the sort of... in that period of Cuban history. Yeah, sort of unfamiliar to me as well. And and sort of... Obviously, a lot of this has been framed as a war of ideas and a war of propaganda between the US and Cuba, mm. and I'm so used to sort of seeing it from an American point of view, um, most of which I find batshit insane. Yeah. Um, to sort of see it from a Cuban point of view is interesting, because obviously the Cuba, is, do- Cuba is culturally isolated from us in a way that mm. America is not. I mean, they, the Cubans do come across as the reasonable guys in this, but it is their propaganda. Mm. So again, when you're getting propaganda on both sides, it's really hard to know what the story is. It's definitely the CIA are less competent than we expect. It's true, which is reassuring for most of us, I would think. Yeah. yeah. Like gently. I don't know. I suspect it's a lot more automated now. Probably. What, the just drone comes in and fucks you yeah, up? Yeah, you don't, yeah, you've got a drone, you don't need to develop. Well, the terrible thing is how many mistakes are baked into that. Mm. Oh, huge numbers, because the intelligence is still lousy. It's okay, mm. collateral damage is fine, no problem. 
Yeah. Got so to smash up a big load of eggs to make a very small omelet. Imperialism is bad, omelet. right? Imperialism is bad. No, we're not. We're not big yeah, no, on that. I don't particularly, even with this accent. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not. But yeah, it's a really interesting thing because obviously it's been done sort of uh, a while ago, and it's it's all it's composited from images from the TV show, mm. um, which I tried watching. Oh, great. It's all on YouTube. We can put a link to it in the show notes. Um, What I found interesting there, well, what was jarring for me there was that the guys who were meant to be CIA agents all had heavy Cuban accents when they were speaking in English, which presumably if you're Cuban is fine because you're just reading the subtitles. But it was off-putting for me. I mean, but maybe they don't have any old English guys in Cuba. I'm guessing not. Probably not. Well, there's some English people in Cuba, but they're up on the North Coast. Oh, too soon. <laughs> Maybe. But yes, no, they're not going to have people from outside the country doing the doing the acting. No, which is and they they did a good job of being CIA agents. They wore a suit and they said words about trying to murder people, which is all you need to do. It's I think that's the, the hiring process. Mm-hmm. Turn up. Do you own a suit? Can you talk about murders? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. You're hired. CIA. Congratulations. Security clearance. Here's a poison pen. I believe that's how it works. Yep. We should all sign up. I don't really want to travel to the States. No, fair. I've got a cold. Can't be asked, really. Well, we've decided that we won't join the CIA. Hooray! Um, so... So one of the other things that I was um, given very kindly was a um, book on the history of Cuban comics which is fairly fairly lightweight but it's interesting to see even if I struggle with the language comics that are completely isolated from American influence from Mm. sort of the 50s onwards fascinating yeah so I need to go into that properly and probably talk about it in a future show but Mm. it is interesting to uh, yeah I'd like to see that if possible because obviously all of ours are still very heavily derived Mm. from American superhero comics well this is something we noted in the Franco-Belgian episode is that when you don't have that weighing down on you you just kind of get what I think of as a sort of a looser texture I guess It's, it's a bit freer and more expansive it frees you up to do a bunch of different stuff and bring in a bunch of different tropes and examine stuff that sort of American influenced Mm. comics has decided is not worthy of comics yeah it's like a a sort of a spongy expansive sourdough as opposed to a sort of surely wood process lump Mm. it's not just it's not just creative decisions it's also the whole you look more than usually disgusted with my bullshit (laughs) Um, it's it's even there's there's also the um, enormous moral backlash in the fifties that really contracted the, mm. the idea of what comics were. Well, that's kind of comics a bit of Wonder Bread. This analogy does not stretch. Unlike well, that's Uranus, the, the dough has. <laughs> Sorry, not you specifically, one Zanus. Uh, you collective. I do take a lot of the ass. I wouldn't say that to you on your birthday, though. I mean, I just did, but I wouldn't. You very heavily alluded to it on his birthday. But I did. Yeah. It's Uh, the power of subtext. Not getting any birthday butt sex. Some people... You can borrow the zine. Butt warmth. Butt familiarity. Butt conviviality. Butt congeniality. (laughs) 
<laughs> but camaraderie, but collegiality, but fraternity, but sorority, but paternity. Maybe not. But authority. Sorry, I just had to make it rhyme. I'm very confused. I'm so confused. I was rapping. No, I'm not sure you were. You were rapping in the same way that Debbie Harry was rapping. Oh! <laughs> I'll take that. I like oh. Debbie. In summary, there are Cuban comics. That's true. They exist and we've read some of them. I'll um, uh, read more in future, but... Uh, El que debe vivir. Thank you, Cuban man, for giving us these comics. Thank you, Cuban man. We'll look into mm. them in more detail. It's very kind. Roger. Hello. Blow out your candles and tell us what you've read. What's going on there? So, this week, I have been reading. I genuinely can't remember. I looked at this list a minute ago. Injection limbo. Of course. Are the, um, are the humans starting to notice? <laughs> <laughs> Do you think they're on the verge of figuring it out? I am a little worried about them. Yeah. Like, it's been a while. A lot of people tried to be nice to me today. It was quite disconcerting. Oh. Hmm. Well, I'm, I'm basically... There's always the worry that if they slap you on the back, they'll feel your dorsal sin, yeah. the fin through the suit, so... Yeah. Also, like, I've been going through some shit and having some weird behavioural problems, and people have been really pleasant, and I don't know how to react when people are nice to me, and it's just creepy. Could comics help you with that? Could talking about comics prove therapeutic? Well, let's, let's have a go, shall we? Let's. I mean, basically, this week, I've just been reading all the normal crap I read, so I'm not going to dwell on it because repeats, but... Latest Injection. It's a good volume of Injection. I liked Injection. We Some still have Injection. I have not yet injected. The, um... Oh. Then I won't, uh, won't talk about some of the stuff that happens. Sorry. It's fine. It's, it's, um... Bridget and... Oh, I can't remember the guy's name. And Simeon. Well, Simeon. And, um... And Hedlund. Vivek? Vivek? Don't know how it's pronounced. Anyway, Hedlund. Um, together in New York, dealing with the um, the case of the elderly ghost sexer, mm. um, and just being top bastards. Someone tries to kill them, they nobble him, take him to a warehouse, and a proper cunts to him. Oh, and we get a little bit of backstory, and we find out some stuff to do with what's going on. And there's a little bit of parallel um, governed with Robin Morrell, who it looks like is going proper off the rails. So. In the, in the earlier version, he's, there's Maria has her electric gothamy, mm-hmm. and there's just this panel where he's kind of talking to himself and stuff's happening while he's doing things in a workshop, and he's basically just built himself a fucking enormous magic broadsword, mm-hmm. and looks really fucked off. The, the being proper nasty to some people who tried to kill them, is this just Uncle Warren needing to dust off the old beat the shit out of some people thing that he likes to do or? it's mostly threatening to beat the shit out of some people okay okay but That's it's fine. genuinely quite intimidating it's, it's it's quite a pacey quite a pacey action piece it's mm. um it's nice it's good it looks great it's just it's a good issue of injection it's not there have been much better issues of injection this is a good issue of injection okay um Limbo, it was the, uh, the denouement, it was the, uh, the conclusion, they... Uh, Stuff was denoued. Yeah, mm-hmm. pretty hard. Now, this will all be wrapped up into the trade, 
And Not next month. They originally pitched for it to be an ongoing thing and aren't sure if it's going to be, so this could be all of it or this could be the end of the first sort of okay. story arc. Um, so and have they, the have they left it in a place where it could go either way? Uh, ish. They've left it in a place where they could expand, I would say to, so. where they could expand and do something different. Mm. Um, I think there's also potential for it to break out of where it was left as well. Yeah. It's, it's beautiful, as always. It looks The colours are fantastic. It's, it's lurid and gorgeous. You, you didn't read it yet. Uh, no, not yet. Um, so it's pretty obvious from the previous issue what's going on, all of the stuff with um, Papalova and sort of manipulating Clay's life and mm. the bet that he's got with his... Who's, I can't remember the name of the, the other lower. Why? I can't remember, I'm sorry. But um, it, it, there's a bit more sort of um, conclusion there and some really interesting set pieces. And Yeah, it, it's just it's just a nice tie-up for the thing, really. Mm-hmm. And they've already sort of... It's not smug about some things that could have been twists that were obvious by now. It acknowledges that they were the... It, it, it trusts the, the reader to have worked out a good degree of what's going on and sort of teases you with the things at the edges. And it's a pleasing thing. Which is actually, when I was reading Injection, it sort of explained some stuff that I'd previously not picked up as part of the main plot. It had mm. been characters doing their own stuff or it had been coincidence. You know, this is just their day-to-day rather than mm. it being part of the overarching plot of the things the Injection are doing. So that was quite mm. interesting. Limbo was... I'm comparing them only because I've just read them both, but but yeah. Limbo was a little bit more obtuse well, and willing to let you run with your own. And this issue injection makes it clear that the injection itself is putting more tentacles out more aggressively. Mm. I um I also have been reading the uh, the Broken Frontier anthology, which shipped. It shipped a lot earlier if you bought the digital, but I shot out for the hardback because I thought it would be amazing. It's a lovely, lovely book. Broken Frontier is a a big comic site, and they had a Kickstarter a while ago for an anthology of, they described it in a slightly tongue-in-cheek way, but they called it like the boldest comics, something, something, something. But what it actually is is a sort of big eclectic thing of mostly kind of sci-fi. Mm-hmm. Beautiful, beautiful hardback. Um, slightly oversized. You could kill a man with it. It's huge. Uh, very, very well produced. Edited by um, Wendy and Tyler Chin Tanner, who I think were on the site, or run a large part of the site and it's little um, sort of four to eight page things and I've just I've just been dipping in and out and it's sufficiently rich and it's sufficiently interesting that we could probably we, we might even sort of dedicate a chunk of, a, of another podcast to it so I'm not going to get into it in detail but there are just some wonderful bits there's one called uh, Wings I think or is it Wind that's really bad I can't remember but it's um, it's purely wordless, and it's a lady on a motorcycle in a implicitly but not not clearly post-apocalyptic landscape. It looks a little bit the sort of softer version of Mad Max, mm-hmm. sort of following birds and the weather and trying to find something. But the visual design of it is just so gorgeous. It's kind of kinetic and very directional. A lot of very nice perspective work. Huge range of art styles. Some stuff I adored, some stuff I hated. There's an I.J. Kilbard thing at the end, mm-hmm. um, which is this sort of lyrical thing about space exploration and memory, and that's that's kind of beautiful. And then there's some stuff that looks like the comics people draw to deliberately look like they can't draw that really gets up my fucking nose. Mm. Um, and 
I'm sure it's making some kind of point or something because art school, I don't know, I just don't fucking care. Um, <clears throat> there's some posed, lilting, heavily stylized stuff. That it's just got, it's got a lot of wonderful things. There's a beautiful vignette about an old man on an airstrip, a little bit white Wright Brothers, mm-hmm. in what looks like the First World War, packing someone off to fight. And it, it, it emerges to be a tiny child in a jetpack who gets handed a Luger and told to go and <laughs> kill German airmen. Fuck. And it's both really funny and really unpleasant. Mm. It's, there's a lot of little little concept punches in there. A lot of the, a lot of the strips have little twists or gimmicks which work to a varying degree. Some of my absolute favourites, though, are the less smug, just slightly more. Mm. Even pieces, but yeah, huge range of styles. It's a lovely thing. Everything else I've read has been has been web comics. I I love the Broken Frontier anthology. I hope it continues to be available. Is it available separately from the Kickstarter? I think so. It's got like it's got an ISBN. It's been produced in concert with a publisher. I, I imagine you'll be able to pick it up. We will link to it in the show notes, um, as we do with all books. Everything is available from us. You can sort purchase of. all of the things we're at some sort of them. store. Actually, you keep them when you couldn't read the whole of your own. No, you can't. I'll be honest, you need to send people to Cuba to pick it up from, from, from some dude's house. Yes, um, everything else I've read has been webcomics, which I guess we'll talk about in a minute. We will. What have you been reading, Dave? Yes, tell us, Dave. Well, you've talked about most of the things that I've been reading. Um, That's because we're better than you. No, it's because I loaned them to you we with the explicit purpose of having someone to talk to. That sounded a little sad. Should we give him a hug? Nah, he probably wouldn't enjoy it. No, I wouldn't enjoy it, and you'd get a disease. Yeah, I don't want a disease. I wouldn't enjoy that. He does look quite infectious, doesn't he? Yeah. Pale, sweaty. Yes. That's usually the case. Yeah. Like an angry haddock. Captain Haddock, maybe. Mm. He's angry, he's drinking. He's got weird ancestry of fancy midget people or something. Complex relationship with a... Ginger twink. <laughs> hey, so Sorry. I read Moon Knight. <laughs> Sorry, was that too much? I enjoyed it. Okay. I was just waiting for something like that. Moon Knight. Moon Knight. But this is the new Moon Knight. This is, this is yes. So Marvel rebooted everything, didn't they? They rebooted everything. And this is Moon Knight again. And for those who don't know, Moon Knight has always been... um, Marvel's answer to Batman makes it sound a bit grand because it makes it sound like someone might read it or care. And no Um, one does, but it's great. That's not really the case, but it's great pulpy nonsense. So uh, Mark Spector went to to somewhere in the Middle East, probably Egypt. He died. He was betrayed and died in front of a... Uh, a, a statue of Khonshu, a uh, conveniently unknown by anyone else Egyptian moon god. Also conveniently right there. Who resurrected him. Yeah, well, it was the 70s. This mm. shit, shit didn't really need much effort or finessing. Indeed. Um, and was reborn as Moon Knight. Um, or was he? Is he just suffering from a dissociative personality disorder? It's probably both. But he's... Um, uh, Wealthy, or at least has been, mm. and uses that to fund a weird, quite violent battle against crime. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there was a there was a version a few years back with uh, Warren Ellis, 
Um, and in fact, the entire injection it. team of Declan Shalvey and Jordi Bolet. This is a new one again. It's yeah, that. This is newer so than I, that. I one. assumed it was just picking up the Warren Ellis character. I didn't know it was a reboot. No, no, there, there were like twenty issues after the Warren Ellis version. What? I saw it was last year. No, you just have no no understanding of how time works. Was it like two or three years so ago? There have been it's like a thermodynamic or possible perceptual accident. Anyway, that's not the issue here because fundamentally, as a species, we don't have a good enough understanding of this. Yeah, and yet you're I blaming me. I don't think we're going to figure. I, this is not on me, motherfucker. This is just disintegrated. I don't know what's wrong with you people. No, we as a species don't understand how time works, but Roger's the dickhead in this transaction. It was 2014, so I would say a couple of years ago. Fine, whatever. Right, That's basically Fine. last year in my book. It's not, though, is Time's it? very fluid for me. Okay. And Roger. <laughs> yes. Okay, but I can count and then sometimes use units of measurement to refer to things that have happened fancy man get you in your big boy shoes your calculator your abacus your astrolabe so Jeff Lemire and is the writer on the new Moon Knight mm. Greg Swalwood is the artist like on the, the new Moon Knight I like that Lemire guy you do and uh, Geordie Belair is the colorist which is obviously well she stayed on it the whole time so the sort of color palette established in the mm. Warren Ellis series has persisted Mm. Uh, it's sort of been the one sort of point of continuity across the uh, across the various teams that have been doing it because they've set, they've tended to set it up as a sort of um, six issue runs of different creative teams mm-hmm. and then yep. the writer and artist switch out which is actually quite a nice way of doing it rather than no, know, jumping between issues get behind that mm. so this one this one finds him in a in an asylum, um, which happens to him because he has a dissociative personality disorder and a tendency to stab people. Um, yeah, they're going to lock you up at some point. It's going to happen, yeah. Um, he, um, as is very much part of the course of the character, doesn't really know what reality is. And at one point fights his way up to the roof of the asylum and sort of sees... A uh, terrifying world of sort of New York blended with pyramids and sand and so on, mm-hmm. and it's only when he puts on sort of his his Moon Knight vestments, which mm-hmm. are notionally some sort of um, kind of priest's robes from an earlier time, that he sees sort of he sees the real world, he sees what's going on. Um, it's kind of, it, yeah, uh, hard to say much more without sort of going into really spoilery details, but mm. um, this is the sort of first one that's really interested me since the Warren Ellis one, mm. and it's got some really, really fantastic layouts. It's got this sort of repeated trick of a sort of four vertical panels that sort of narrow as they go with the edges bleeding in. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I mean, the mirror really does his own artwork in his own books, doesn't he? He does. This one's not him. This is Greg Smallwood. No, but he's got a really strong understanding. Yeah. So if you look at something like Trillium, he's got a really strong understanding of how to play with perception, how to articulate perceptual quirks on the page. Yes. Yes, and this definitely does that. Um, 
it's not as sort of immediately obvious as the um, Declan Shalvey white bleeding into the gutters mm. um, stuff from the earlier ones, but it's got some really good stuff in there, and it's one of the sort of new Marvel titles that actually seems really kind of worth reading. Mm. I'm slightly biased because I do have a love of the character as a sort of bargain basement Batman. He's like the, he's like the GoBots of Batman. <laughs> he's just a lot cheaper. Um, but I really enjoyed it. Good. Which I haven't really had with any sort of superhero comics in a while, so it's nice to know that there's still stuff there that does does work for me. Uh, and actually, I didn't like Lemire's Hawkeye uh, from the last few months, so hmm. it's good to know that I just still like Jeff Lemire generally, just hmm. just not that. Did you didn't read anything else? Yeah, well, I already told you about it, didn't I? A little bit. Yeah. Do you want to say anything else? Let's talk about some web comics. Oh, comics on the web. Yeah. It's a bit racy and long. I don't believe on you. On internet. Can't happen. So today we're talking about web comics. Uh, and realistically, we're just going to throw stuff that we've read at you. Stuff yeah, that we probably no, recommend. There's no unifying... Like, sometimes we, often me, try to come up with some bullshit unifying thesis for the topic, but... There isn't one. This is just comics what are on the internet. That's the thing. Yeah. You better enjoy thing. it, people. God, yes, you'd be just absolutely better. I feel like we've had a spectrum of luck, though. I'm not sure about yours, but I get the broad strokes impression that I had a lovely time and you were fucking miserable, Mr. Convery. I was pretty miserable. So one of the problems I found, when I was just idly looking for webcomics, using search terms like best webcomics, best new webcomics, best webcomics of 2015, the fact that it's so easy to do it means that there's Mm. such an absolute proliferation of shit, and that seems to manifest in two very specific ways. Number one is the gag strip where they thought up a punchline and invented a really flimsy premise that doesn't work to wrap around it. And number two is where they've got a cast of characters they're absolutely in love with and there isn't any plot, it's just a vehicle for those people who may be analogues of their friend group or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, fuck those guys. So I've seen that so much, but I had a much better time. So my, and I think it might be linked might be coming on. I feel a thesis coming on. Oh God, no. Is it because you read a load of whoopsie stuff? Yeah, well, discovery mechanism. So I, I read... I thought you already knew. You've got that haircut. (laughs) (laughs) oh fuck you Um, so I read Check Please which is just my favourite thing I'm a little bit in love with it it's wonderful Um, it's just it's just so sweet this is gay hockey pie comics yes yeah gay hockey hockey pie comics Um, and that on the author's um, uh, Ngozi Akazu Ukazu? Anyway. Um, we're not good at names, we're, we we're know not this. Good at names. Uh, on, on her Tumblr, she links to Hot Blood, which is the gay centaur comic. Of course. And um, on after I'd read all of Hot Blood in an afternoon, just while I was putting off updating my CV because I've got some life problems, <laughs> I found a list of recommendations of other comics and I went and read a bunch of those. And so kind of Comics that people who write good women comics like mm. seems to be a reasonable way of yes the side the sort of the blog side role mm. and I found myself really disappointed that none of the others had recommendations pages mm. a lot of them had you know because you normally get about fair enough little bit of blurb sometimes about the author sometimes you get a specific page page about the cast and I usually think that's a red flag mm. if there's a if, if if cast is one of your top level menu items it tends to imply that they're going to be a little bit over in love with their characters. 
or possibly that it's or it's very long running it, or it's very long running and those or it can be both of those yeah. things um, I wish I would like sorry to ask you to do work webcomics people but if you'd like to have a recommendations page it's awesome for discovery yeah no I found I found some great stuff over the years <laughs> doing that I got Octopus Pie from mm. Kate Beaton's recommendations you're asking people to create a blog role in 2016 yes sometimes the old ways are the best ways what about when you run out of blog role Use your blog hand. Oh. Nobody has newspapers anymore, which is part of the problem. No, you have to use an iPad. Oh. <laughs> Smears. Doesn't recognise my fingerprint. This has gone wonky. Yes. It's gone sideways. Back to webcomics. It's not really like me to derail it. It's nice to have the occasional option there. Um, so... Who wants to tell us about something first? I normally just instruct you, and this I is can, why can, you can, look confused. I can start if you like. Tell us about tell us tell well, us I about did, well, your, I, your I, UK I can, comics. So I started with Check Please. Uh, Re- refresh our memories about Check Please. It's gay hockey pie comics. Yeah, it's just so good. What's hockey pie? Hockey comma pie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So um, Check Please is the story of this kind of. Adorable, wide-eyed, blonde, twinky figure skater Southern. from the deep, from mm. like Georgia, I think. Somewhere like that. Um, who gets a scholarship or decides to go to anyway some kind of competitive hockey college, um, and because he's fantastic on the ice and what have you. And yeah, he's he's at college on on some sort of hockey scholarship, and he's pathologically terrified of the fact that hockey is full contact so he's really fast he's kind of agile mm. he's friendly and charming his teammates all like him it's not even slightly an issue that he's gay mm-hmm. like they do there's a, there's a subplot early on where he's kind of terrified of telling people obviously yeah what the fuck ever carry on mm. um, but his big neurotic crux is um, body checking that's why it's called check it's please check please um, he's just he's terrified of the fact that hockey is full contact but he's otherwise great at it mm. and it's, it's basically about him it's split into sort of his years at college. It's him and his teammates and his friends kind of progressing through life. Learning it's about themselves. Kind of, but it's just... Everything I've said probably sounds awful, but it's really not awful because it's so extraordinarily warm. It's got a beautiful, sweet heart that yeah. even my horrible, twisted insides respond well yeah, to. And it's really well and drawn. It is. Really well drawn. I meant Rogers. I haven't read it. I it's kind of... my insides do. It's, 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 it's cuddly and twinky. Mm-hmm. It, it, basically, everyone in it is pretty. Oh, Yes. Um, and, and then, then be current on it. I'm not current on it. You know about the thing. Not necessarily. Right. There's some fairly big stuff I was happens. Current on it whenever we last covered mm. it on the podcast. Some stuff has happened. Okay, it's adorable. It has a plot that changes things. Yeah, that's kind so, of revolutionary. In so the, the the main character Eric Eric Bittle or Bitty or Bits as he gets gets called, um, basically trying yeah it. it, it is blundering around with sort of drama and trying to stay on the team and then stuff starts happening so some of the more senior members of their kind of the they end up moving into a like hockey team effectively frat house but mm. not horrible some of them move out some people move in so there's kind of the, the natural treadmill of progression of it being a university scenario um, and then everyone starts having a whole bunch of personal life stuff happen and it's lovely mm. And and maybe just maybe he finds a nice boy. Maybe. Ooh. 
So from there you went to uh, Centaurs. Yeah, so this is a problem. Because now you want to fuck a horse? <laughs> no, but... But if you're the sort of person that does want to fuck a horse, then this comic will really be for you. Because, oh golly, the creator has spent far too much time thinking about horse fucking. I'm not suggesting the that they The physics thereof? Yeah, I'm not suggesting that they are themselves a horse fucker. I, I, I don't think so. It's challenging in person. But there's, there's a lot of... There are like FAQ pages and peripheral art, and she, I think it's a she likes to retweet fan art and get talking about... And we'll just take questions on the Tumblr site. It's very boostery. And there's a lot of stuff about how this world works and the dynamics and practicalities. And there are a couple of... You can like pay $5 if you want for redacted scenes of hardcore horse fucking. Does anyone die from being skewered by a horse dick? That is alluded to in the FAQs. Uh. But the comic itself is actually not particularly sexually visceral. It's kind of sweet in a weird sort of way. I mean, everyone is a fucking idiot, but... So this is, this is, this is Hot Blood by... Um, Tarelski? Um Who... Flashing my, my sexism here, I, I, I looked at the name and thought, Scandinavian man. Probably sexism and racism turns out to be a lady, I think possibly American, but I'm not sure. Um, I'm, I'm a bad person. Yes. And um, Hot Blood is this, this really interesting premise of, it's a sort of gently alternate you're going to mock me for saying gently, gently when I point to the centaurs, but really there is nothing else weird. Gently alternate American Old West period piece. Uh, and there are centaurs. They exist in parallel with humans. There's a little bit of tension, like a tiny bit of racism, but they're fairly like mainstream. Um, they're not like second-class citizens. It's not a slavery analogy or anything. It's more like sort of European national rivalry, I guess. Of mm. A little bit of mockery, a little bit of stereotyping, but actually fundamentally everyone knows that they're just people. Mm-hmm. Um, it made me think of the way Britain and France take the piss out of each other. Kind of. But yeah, and so France have been at war for the greater part of the last thousand years. But in a kind of avuncular way. No, we just keep trying to take the other bit. I mean, my uncle shot me through the eye with arrows a bunch of times. It'll happen. We stole Calais. Calais! Yeah, why would you do that? And we built a place called Boozingham Palace there. (laughs) That's the name of one of the wine supermarkets in Calais. Oh, that's wonderful. I mean, by that I mean that's that's the worst fucking thing. Mm. But now, Hot Blood is... um, it's It's the Wild West with gay centaurs, and if you want more than that, then... I feel bad for you because it's the Wild West with gay centaurs, fucking hell. But it also looks wonderful. So it's these big, tall, vert- very vertical strips. It, it, it's again webcomic comic page to a strip. The plot moves quite slowly, mm. and there are these two characters, James Rook and Asa Langley. Um, James is centaur, Asa is a uh, not centaur, uh, human, I guess. Um, and that is what we call them. Yes, do be quiet. And Azer is a kind of scuzzy businessman that mm. runs ran a gold mine that got tapped out and was down. Sorry, no, he bought an exhausted gold mine, having realised it was full of iron ore, and got involved in a railroad company at the time of the boom. And um, Rook is the sort of centaur that blunders into being hired as his secretary. Mm. And there's a little bit of the sort of slightly racisty stuff, like 
That's one of those working for me. Yeah, kind of thing. sort of makes slightly toothless pony mm. jokes and things, mm. and they gradually realise they're kind of attracted to each other. But they um, end up robbing a train for complex reasons to do with some business deals gone south and both being dickheads, and sort of end up on the run. And the mid-stretch of the comic is them on the run through this gorgeous sort of will eventually will eventually become I think Yellowstone National Park mm-hmm. um, countryside, and it's it's visually. The colour palette is quite restrained. There's lots of browns and pale flats. It's The panels are quite thin, quite long, which really lends itself to some sort of mountain views. And mm. the panel's just trickling down. It's got a really good eye for it's sort of following the visual attention of motion. And really good uses of crisp diagonals. And you can see... It looks, yeah, it looks to me so, like um, quite heavily influenced by sort of 1980s, 1970s manga. Mm. It's sort of that very clean line of, of older manga. You're looking at a page there that has this little inset of the sun. as just a, as a circle, in a, a pale circle, in a box that's central to the panel and boxed in. Mm-hmm. And it has this wonderful recurring visual device of using really interesting inset boxes mm. to do detail work. Mm-hmm. So it, it's got fantastic landscape. The character voices could be a bit more distinct. The plot could be a bit more interesting. Basically, it's two fucking idiots who end up doing some crimes. Sounds like a pretty good premise for a comic. Um, only gay interracial, interracial human centaur canoodling is mm. also is also a thing. I don't think you can call it canoodling when there's a centaur. Or interracial. Centaurs don't snuggle. This one does. They're snuggly. Some of it's quite touching. I'm just afraid of hooves. Like, quite afraid of hooves. Yeah, there's, there's quite a lot of hooves in it, I don't actually. want to get stomped. There's a really intimate moment of getting a stone out of a hoof. Oh, Oh, it's nice seeing a fetish being born, isn't it? Yeah. It's... So, I, I really, really enjoyed it. From the description, I thought, oh, God, this is just going to be a bunch of fucking furries wanking on. But it, it's not. It's, it's, I mean, even if it were, that would, that would be fine unless it were also bad writing. It's just I'm a bit not interested in that section. Yeah, 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 yeah. If it was just people expressing their fetish, well, fine, express your fetish, but it's not mine. Yes. But this is, this is actually, it doesn't feel fetishized. It doesn't feel skeevy. It... Just there happen to be some centaurs. It's semi. It's barely used to highlight the transgressive stuff. It's mm-hmm. it's not even particularly a metaphor for the kind of gay alienation stuff. Mm-hmm. It's just it's just a nice thing. It in places the story is slight. It wraps up a little bit too quickly for my taste. It's finished as well. So okay. If you that's um, good to know. If you don't if you like if you don't like your web comics unconcluded, this mm-hmm. is this is finished. Um. I loved it. I really did. It's it's got a great palette. It's got, look at that little little tiny insets. It's got really good tiny insets. It looks panels. really nice. Um, We're all converts. I I think you're not to centaurs. No, to the comic. I think you all should read Hotplug. My 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 second favorite thing about Hotplug. This is so pathetic. Is the page navigation. So, oh god, no! I love good page navigation. So you've got web you've got the forward backward buttons, and these are these little twitchy geometric designs that look a little bit like arrowheads. They're great. Mm. Like as in. Obviously, they always look like arrows because they're fucking arrows. Anyway, I appreciate that we've um, been—we're running quite long on this one. So, uh, Lucy, give us a few recommendations. A few recommendations. Um, I would say catch up with Akewood. It's updating semi-regularly. The—I mean, Chris Onstead's kind of at the point with it now. It feels where he's playing around with the rich universe and characters he's created is not really plot driven as such so that every sort of every friday or every other friday he's uploading a kind of one shot thing the um there was a wonderful payoff in the most recent one about sort of 
how you feel inside when someone's trying to go full on like cleanse diet at you. Memory meet with the poo system is pressing air through its leadership hole. I wonder where it will be when it dies. <laughs> stop pushing air through your leadership hole is my new stop saying words. <laughs> that I is amazing. My favourite one of those recently was, was one that went through an insane degree of setup to come up with quite a simple, awful payoff line. Mm. Um, which was that Philippe believes that he should run for president again. Yes. Um, because the, the current the current batch of candidates are bad. And through a series of very convoluted motions, this ends with Philippe sat in a straw hat in a little booth that says, I'm Philippe, God made a mistake, and now here I am. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good one. So, yes, it's... I've become a convert. I've, oh, really? I can't read it long long term, but okay. I, now dip in harrowing. I now dip in happily. Good. I mean, I guess I guess I have a very strong feeling deep down inside myself that you do need to do it long form, that you need to soak yourself Feel entirely. Feel misery. Yes, in, you know, let it, let it suffuse into your bones. Not just, not just the misery, the incredible tone of the whole thing all of mm. those extraordinary distinct voices talking like no one has ever talked and yet you always knew that someone should mm. so no so it's it's chris on playing around with his own world but he's 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 hitting all the good notes when he's doing it i would i would go there if it's a thing that you know that you like um, I read something called Blue by Pat Grant, which was, uh, again, this is a complete thing. So if you like reading a whole mm. story online, this is one of those. It's about some sort of some Australian kids in a sort of rundown rural town that's just about to encounter, well, they're sort of starting to encounter new people. And those new people are depicted as kind of blue and alien with lots mm. of kind of noodly appendages. Have you read this, Dave? I read that years ago, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's great. Yeah, it's really good. It's about the influx of Chinese people into a small Australian town. Yes, through the, through the sort of metaphor of aliens yeah. and alienness. And the kids are just proper fucking grotty and horrible. And the voice there is oh, really wonderful. good. Yeah, it's um, sort of small town never looking really beyond its borders. They've got the stuff that they do and that's the stuff that you do because why would you, you do other stuff? You go surfing and you work at the plant that they built the town around and if people come down from Sydney, they're rich fucks who want to buy a house and who are all these strange aliens. Mm. Yeah, I bought the book of that years ago. Yeah, you can, it's also available as a print book. Oh, it's cute. It's really... But the art's oh, really weird. intricate and weird as well. That's proper squishy. The colour palette's really nice. Yeah, it is really good. Uh, I had actually forgotten that I read that based well, on the notes, but I have read it. It's, it's great. It's great, and it's really bleak and yeah, quite no. hard, hard reading because... There's no sort of... It's not, it's not really a positive narrative in any particular way. It is telling a story that is what it is rather than trying to yeah. create something. It doesn't, it doesn't feel sort of hugely judgmental towards people who are kind of fairly racist yeah um it it doesn't feel like it's doing this heavily but it sort of feels like they haven't they haven't got the perspective to do anything other than what they're doing yes um there are little there are little bits where it's just clear that change will prevail but that change isn't sort of incorporated as a positive sort of racial blend thing 
it's yeah it's really interesting and intricately drawn there's a lot of detail in the panels if you like that kind of thing and some proper fucking grotty teenagers if you like that kind of thing and then beyond that i caught up with a couple of casey green's long form things so he's uh casey green is probably most famous to people from the internet as the creator of dick butt Yes. Uh, and also that cartoon of a dog sat in a fire saying, this is fine that you keep posting. Oh, that one. That was him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's nice. Yeah. The, um, I was inter- my first Casey Green comic was the one of an elderly woman trying to buy glasses online and everything just going horribly wrong. She ends up Googling amazing gay asses <laughs> and this gets broadcast to her family and friends through some kind of social sharing thing and her grandson just responds with grandma, why? <laughs> and I mean, given the, given the couple of years of elder care I've had, grandma, why? I felt like a sentiment I really needed in my arsenal. So... I was the, grateful for the, that. The first, the first one of his that I ever read was um, just the guy going to his smoking dog saying, boy, have you seen my keys? And the dog just sat there and it cuts to a bucket full of spiders. It's like, oh, did you put them in the bug bucket? God damn it, I hate the bug bucket. Why do, <laughs> why do we even have this thing? <laughs> <laughs> and it's just the dog sat there with this unchanging <laughs> grin as this guy is gradually consumed by the bug bucket. <laughs> yeah, if you, if, you like your, if you like your gag strips... Off and bleak, yes, then... I'm thinking like a bit like poorly drawn lines. Yeah, but nastier? Mm. Nastier, maybe. Not nastier, it's just a different tone for a similar sort of emotional range. I think it moves outside of, like, poorly drawn lines is great, but has a very similar structure all mm. the time. Mm. This, um... A huge range of different joke formats, yeah. if you look through, if yeah, you sort of go yeah. through the gag strips, there's a lot of... A lot of stuff that really works that aren't the big hits as well. Yeah, a lot of the time he's much more willing to front load the weird or the nasty, which mm-hmm. Bonnie Drawn Lines tends to be the reveal. It's yeah, the that's yeah. the punchline, yeah. So um, so I read uh, He Is A Good Boy, which is his new long-form comic about an acorn named Crange, who has been sort of freeloading in the ancestral home. He's the last one to leave and his dad's like now come on man you gotta leave his dad is the tree obviously but then as as they're having this conversation a guy comes and cuts the tree down and he is stuck sort of not really knowing what to do with his life so he ends up just in a bunch of really horrible situations an accessory to crime thinking bad things he drinks a lot he buys like 90 subways at one point (laughs) he's just a complete sort of unremitting fuck-up who very occasionally has a moment of clarity but then just goes back to fucking things up. Did you read The Rabbit? The mm, Rachel Smith thing? No. It's like a really micro version of that of some kids that get duped by a really scuzzy rabbit into doing a load of crimes and dumb shit. Yeah, Cranch is a fucking idiot and doesn't know what he's doing. And also, But also the whole sort of... They, they live in this sort of strange bug world where there are sort of bugs and acorns and animated rocks all walking around mm. like that's completely normal. And the only sort of meta reference to this world is from a KFC blurry training video comic strip about how there's the shrinker where you shrink the KFC for the bugs who are our customers now the government is printing smaller money for them so they can do capitalism too but other than that we just don't really talk about it (laughs) (laughs) that's amazing (laughs) 
<laughs> I love this we've done through KFC. It's the mind that gets you there that's just yeah. glorious. Is it here's a good boy that just occasionally has the weird tiny clown, or was that in Graveyard No, Quest? I think that's... It's in one of his things. It's not Graveyard Quest either. Graveyard Quest is the mole. Yeah. The mole is great. I really like that mole. I read a lot of Graveyard Quest, but it was dark. It's being a book weird. now. Yes. It is to be a book. Which has a crudely redrawn version of the Festus Quest NES <laughs> game box for a cover. Splendid. Which I thoroughly appreciate. The other great thing... Two mentions for Uncle Fester today. I know, he's doing well. Um, The other great thing I think about Casey Green is the the fluidity of the artwork. He's really good at that thing of having a sort of, like a reaction panel where the face is just horribly twisted or the eyes are falling out or whatever and then flicking back into Mm. the normal narrative, which if you like that thing, he is a master of it. A lot of really weird, bendy, gross stuff. Yeah, Yeah, Ren and Stimpy is a good comparison for both the setting and the visual feel I would say I, I really like his stuff and every time I'm at a show and he's there he has posted about how endlessly miserable he is on Twitter and I want to go and buy things off him but I don't want to like, I feel like he, I feel like he'd know yeah. that I was just trying to sort of cheer him up a bit and I wouldn't want to sort of get there and accidentally say Chin up. It's fine. You stay away from paying money to Casey Green in case he thinks you're humouring him because he knows you've seen him on the Twitters. Is yeah. this what you're saying? That's weird. Yeah. I think you should He'd probably and... like the money. He'd probably like the money, but he looks so sad. <laughs> Next time you're at a thing, go and give that man some money. You know the thing about people at comic shows should probably stand up behind the tables? Yeah. Yeah, he's sort of... Slumped. Slumped. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> Yeah, it's not That's ideal. how I would be, I think. That's, this is yet another reason why I'm not a comics artist, also because I can't draw or make comics. Those are the other primary reasons. Those are good reasons. Yeah. Huh, you've got a really huge list here. Do you want to quickly give shout-outs to some of the others? That yeah, you yeah. So there's, there's only one I'm really mad keen on talking about, which I'll give a, a, very bit, a brief bit to and then just a couple of mentions. Um, Do it. So Judaica, or possibly Judica, I think Judaica... Um, J-U-D-E-C-C-A and it's um, that is by oh god you've not done yourself any favours here uh, Nora Heikler um, and Finnish uh, yes and Jonathan Meacham um, and this is it's my I, I mean I love um, I love Check Please but this is my kind of seri- more serious pick hmm. Um, Judaica, Judaica is is um, it is one of the subcomponents of Cocytus in Dante's Hell. Mm. It is one of the it's, it's part of the ninth circle reserved for betrayers and traitors. And Some heavy shit. This is a comic set on an island in a river in Hades, where that behaves like a sort of scuzzy port town in a Melville novel. There's a lot of going to hell in the comics we've read because Graveyard yeah. Quest is about going to hell as well. The mystical stuff is underplayed. Everyone's weird. There is magic. The longer you're there, the more you come to resemble an iconified version of your sins, basically. But, okay. But it's barely expressed in details, and mm. this guy is starting to look like a shark. Right. Um, and he's got this friend, Frederick, who's been turned into a rabbit by this weird version of Lilith, who likes to fuck people and turn them into rabbits and then put them in a stew. Or possibly goats. The, the, cold, the, the, the prologue is her fucking a dude. 
um, and then turning him into a goat and making a casserole out of him. Um, Maybe just whatever animal you feel like eating. Yeah, it's yeah. probably up to you. But it's it's um, so I, I, I'm zipping through this and making it sound possibly weirder than it is, but it is proper fucking weird. It's incredibly creepy. So this town, it, it's an immediate opening. You don't really know what's going on. It only gradually becomes apparent that that it's something to do with the afterlife. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the, it's got this vaguely Sisyphean thing of people sort of work at the docks moving boxes they don't know what's in them they don't know why they're doing it at the end of the day they get meager rations of food mm-hmm. in shops that are always closed his rabbit his pet rabbit is his accountant it's it's not mm-hmm. it's strange there's this silent girl called um, Nyako Nyako um, who's had some horrible violence done to her and we occasionally get flashbacks and it appears to have been kind of like a raised in a bordello and shit went down horribly kind of a thing that's um, not great either way. No, is it? it's not. It's not good. And she becomes a bit attached to Sharky, and they have some sort of tentative friendship. It's not. It's not particularly sleazy, but this this world is just deeply unpleasant and strange. And they're trying to find a way through it. And the color palette is these muted greys and browns with occasional flashes of red. And it's beautiful and it's mysterious. It's creepy. It's extraordinarily atmospheric. Mm. It's just fucking wonderful. Cool. Um. And I'm sorry if I pronounced their names wrong. But yes, if, if you if you wanted to I imagine... we should just start making that disclaimer at the start. Mm. If you wanted to imagine the vague outlands of hell as like one of the brief Port Town vignettes in a Melville novel, then this is for you. Quicksilver by Emily Smith. Uh, weird, magical Vegas. It's, it's either not very well written or I really, really hate the voice of the main character. I can't really tell which. There are some bits of what feel like very clunky exposition, but it's so in the tone that the character is written in that I think I might just not like her very much. Mm-hmm. But um, it's got these beautiful, trippy, drippy, foofy nouveau panels, and mm. it's kind of watercolour painty in Ooh. interesting palette. And basically, it's about a, a former stripper who decides that to settle down and become a bartender in a failing casino that she then realises is really super failing and tries to save it. Okay. In semi-magical Vegas there's this whole unnecessary thing about there being a weird underworld with animal hybrids and weird government experiments that sort of maybe doesn't matter um, I didn't finish reading it I think it's still ongoing I read like about the first half of it mm-hmm. it's interesting it's visually beautiful either the writing is a little bit cloth-eared or it's really really well done and I just don't like the voice mm-hmm. genuinely can't tell haven't read enough worth a look um Things to Revisit, Fascist Friends by Aaron Lux. I've talked about it before. It's still great. It looks wonderful. Drugs and Wires, which I habitually describe as cyberpunk, but not shit. It's still cyberpunk. It's still not shit. Um, Griefer Belt, which is um, gay organ, organ harvesting gangsters. Oh, of course. It's one of those comics that has the unfortunate thing of looking a bit like its own shit fan art, but it kind of does work. Mm-hmm. Going to leave it there. Cool. One thing I should say, actually, about... Um... Graveyard Quest is that it does have a happy ending. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if you feel like going back there, there's a real like satisfying arc to be had. So I think I just struggle with webcomics. Um, is this this? Is the and I'm pretty sure I said this last time. Enjoy. Uh, no, it's it's not that because normally I can fake it. Um, but so the, the one thing I read was Stand Still, Say, Stay Silent by uh, Mina Sundberg, which is something that I've been meaning to read for a while. Um, and it's a mm. post-apocalyptic tale based on Finnish mythology, which all of this, all of this should be right up my alley. And it is objectively good and I don't like it. Um, 
I don't like the pacing of narrative webcomics. It can be a problem. Mm. I think even... Unless unless there's a joke structure or there's something else, they just really feel flabby and indulgent to me. So I read well over 100 pages of this before the main plot started. Mm. Um, it's full of prologue. It's really in love with its own voice. Um, but there are obviously people who like this. It gets a lot of readers. There are people commenting. The people like the minutiae of the characters. And the, there's a couple of ways you could read something like this, any any long-form narrative work comic. You could read big chunks of it at once, mm. which doesn't work for me, or you could read it as it's released, which doesn't work for me. I absolutely hate tracking and Drip keeping on top day of... day by day, what's still yep. fucking happening here. Yeah, no, yeah, I struggle with that. Of those. Um, but when you get to it, sort of point by point, it feels like... It, it doesn't feel like it's structured like something that I would want to read. It doesn't feel tight enough. Um, so basically, I just can't deal with them. Is, is your strategy to wait until the good ones are made into books and then read the books? Yeah. That's a good strategy. Given it's a reasonable strategy. And given when we started, Kickstarter wasn't so much of a thing. That's true. Um, it's much easier now if you've built an audience to... Sell them your books via Kickstarter? Your, yeah. 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 Whereas something like this... I mean, the artwork is wonderful. The artwork is really amazing. It's this um, very, very... Uh, detailed, limited palette thing with a lot of really clever stuff going on. There's some great stuff where sort of um, lines on maps sort of blend into water and there's sort of there's a recurring uh, structure around this very threatening red-tinged water that's, that's going to rise up and do awful things in this endless storm that is in the prologue. Um, there's just there's some really lots and lots of detail, particularly given that it's got a uh, release schedule of every day, yeah. um, daily. Fuck yeah, that's punishing. Mm. Yeah, you need a buffer if you're doing that. I th- I think she does build one in, but it's. I mean, it looks extraordinary. It's based around a lot of things that I like, but at the same time, it just it's not presented in a way that I can engage with. And this has been my broad experience of a lot of a lot of web comics. So mm. I'm the unbeliever here I'm possibly well, I, too old I see it though I stopped reading and I will occasionally go back and jump in John Gunnick Court just because it's discursive bad, and rambling oh it got bad but I couldn't get into it in the first place I know both of you liked it and I tried I read sort of broadly the equivalent of the first book and I just but sort of came away completely cold a lot of stuff cold. just doesn't move it's, it's kind of but it's, it's the problem that I also found with questionable content I think there's a tendency for creators to fall in love with their universe to the point that they want to tell stories just kind of fractalizing Mm, off mm. every aspect of it without progressing the narrative that much yeah Uh, speaking speaking of questionable content Chris aka Canon Hannon's Ham Cannon the creator of our uh, theme tune says says the questionable content is back on uh, back on track. Well, try try googling Canon Hannon's Ham Cannon yeah try, try googling it why would I do that You'll find well, some things out. You'll learn some things about yourself. You can find the fun I've been having with Google indexing. Ah. Yeah, no one, should, no one should ever have skills. given me a website. Um, but yeah, I just, I really, really struggle. And I tried to read a few other things. And I find that I can sort of dip in and out of joke strips mm. um, reasonably well. Like Casey Green stuff, I say I, I do like it, but I've probably not looked into the three years. Mm. 
Um, I think XKCD is probably the only one I ever see reliably, and even then I do need to be just when other to people fucking link to it, which is regularly. I used to read. I used to read tons of things like this, and I used to have mm. them on RSS and and read them fairly constantly. No, I mean I've got to say my it sort of work, my yeah. daily webcomic consumption has definitely gone down. I used mm. to have a roster yeah, of at least three or four narrative webcomics that I read every time they updated, and I stopped doing that because I was fucking insane for a while, and it never felt like a natural thing to pick back up. Yeah. So the stuff that I have enjoyed out there, like, I mean, Super Mutant Magic Academy, I've never <sighs> read it as a webcomic, but it was one. Mm. Um, and that works quite nicely as a book, because there's a bunch of great jokes, and then there's an overarching plot. And that's what you want. Yeah, but at the same time, I would never have read it as a webcomic. Mm. It's just the format just doesn't doesn't work for me. And you often end up with sort of each comic reduced to the one or two strips that kind of become independently popular. I've definitely found with a bunch of different webcomics. So with um, Super Mutant Magic Academy, we had the sort of George O'Keefe one, which maybe wasn't like huge popular, but the Casey Green, Dog in the Fire, this is fine. There are things that sort of become memes, become popular as strips without... The vast majority of the people enjoying them won't actually ever go and engage with the bulk of the work that the person's doing. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's yeah, that's entirely fair. It's got to be hard for people to build an audience and mm. commensurate to that. When you have an audience, it's going to be quite hard not to play to it. Yep. Um, which so, yes, which you absolutely see as well. So nothing, nothing that I'm saying is in any way criticism of how people write web comics. They should do what works and what works for them. I'm just not the audience anymore. Mm-hmm. And I'm sort of willing to accept that. But it does make it really hard to do a show on webcomics. I think some of the things that we've pointed, you might, some of them just don't do a lot of the stuff you can play. In particular, Hot Blood is, it just trips along with narrative momentum. It really does work. I'm not reading your uh, unicorn fetish comic. So, so narrow-minded. He'll never understand. The love that a dude can feel for a centaur, and vice versa. It looked nice, but again, it just doesn't doesn't sort of compel me to sit and read it. Sorry um, that someone has to print something out and put it in front of you if you'd enjoy it. I'm so very old. That's true. You are. You're kind of sagging. This little sort of this sawdust coming out of your bits. What if I did a comic for you on papyrus? Uh, I could go back to like vellum would be fine. What, what if what I typeset a comic papyrus? Sorry, that was oh. a two-parter. Well, that's been web comics. Hopefully, there's some recommendations for you there. I'm going. Gay centaurs. Take these two out behind the chemical sheds and have them shot. He so. means we're going to have a pizza and it'd be nice. Yeah, I'm going to go to a pub. Yeah, that, that's that's what I told you. And you, you've we've child, bought it. Childhood dog went to a lovely farm. We've and, gone for it. Yeah. Yeah, they've really, they've really willingly become participants in their own dissolution. It's Stockholm Syndrome. Yeah. You own us now. Just been really helpful. What are you going to do with us, though? Actually, we'll just get pizza. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> Easier than all the other options. Yeah. Don't I don't even know where a chemical shed is. No. I mean, and also the only car to get rid of the bodies is yours, and I can't drive. That's true. You could probably figure it out. I don't want to, like, I don't want to learn to drive with two bodies in the trunk. That's true. That just feels like asking. Kill Roger first. I'll be your adult with a driving license in the passenger seat, and then when we get to the destination, you bump me off and put me in the hole. She makes a good point. This is—it's like the fox in the corn and the farmer in the boat. There's a system. 
You make an excellent point. Right, well, let's uh, let's get on with it. We've got a busy evening ahead. Splendid. Say goodnight. Ta-da. Adios. Good night. Kind of sharks and jets, walk backwards, clicking kind of thing. I don't think we have to fight. Um, Even if we were a gang and we fought people, that would be cool. It would be quite cool, but who would we fight? I right? could we, fight people. We